Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins a section of Scripture that's been foundational for God's people throughout the centuries. It's a famous passage. Uh, If you grew up possibly in uh, a Jewish home or you had friends that had a Jewish background, this is the foundational passage for that faith. And as Jesus came as the Messiah and showed us what it means to live as God's people, it's a passage that continues to shape Jesus's ministry on earth and what it means to be God's people. We were studying the Sermon on the Mount out of the book of Matthew to really understand what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. We need to understand what's happening in the book of Deuteronomy and and specifically this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so let's look at this passage this morning. As we read it, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm just going to comment on it as I go through the passage, and then we'll kind of look into it in more detail in just a minute. But I want to make some comments uh, as we go along. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a passage, and if you like to write in your Bible, you can write a little word out to the side. It's the word Shema, S-H-E-M-A. If you talk to someone from a Jewish background and they refer to the Shema, it's the hear, O Israel, this is who our God is. We have to know, we have to know who God is in order to understand what it means to worship Him, and what it means to obey Him, and what it means to follow Him. Something that Corey mentioned earlier when the kids were up here singing is we don't want our children just to sing words for the sake of singing them. We want to know what they're singing. And the same thing applies to adults on Sunday morning. I'm so guilty sometimes of standing there in my, or standing there in my spot or sitting in my seat, and you've heard the words so many times that you just repeat them without thinking what they really mean. When we gather to worship, it doesn't matter how high you hold your hands, and I think that that's a good thing, It doesn't matter how loud you sing, and and that's a good thing as long as you sound good, Uh, but uh, it doesn't matter how you express yourself, it's the content of what we're singing. We want to sing songs that proclaim the truth about who God is. And here's what we're going to do to that end. This summer, we're going to begin a sermon series on who is God, because as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know who God is. And specifically, based on that sermon series, we're also going to ask, who is God in the Christian faith in relation to who is God seen to be in other faiths? So whether that's Islam or Judaism or Mormonism or another group, we're going to look this summer about who is God and who is God represented to be in these other faiths and how does that better help us know what it means to follow after God. And so when we have a phrase in verse 4 that says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, we need to know what that means. That is the content of our worship. It's the, it's the foundation of our lives. Verse 5, this is a crucial transition. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Did you see the transition that happens from verse 4 to verse 5? It does not matter how much you know about God if your heart is cold toward Him. We can go to church year after year, decade after decade. You could win every Bible trivia question possible. But if your heart is cold toward the Lord, we are not truly worshiping Him. Many of us grew up in church 
and you know the stories, you know the content. You may even say, my story is that I grew up in church and then I just moved away from the faith. I didn't have anything to do with it for a while because my heart was just cold toward God. We cannot just know about God, we are called to love God. To love him, not in this ooey-gooey sort of way, but the word love here refers to a covenant, a relationship, the idea of a marriage covenant, that you are going to love that person sacrificially, you're going to be committed to them, and your whole life is about loving that person. Because notice it says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Underline the word all. Highlight it in your phone. Whatever access you have to the Bible. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the idea that we love and worship God with every part of who we are. Worship is not just Sunday morning. Worship is not just something we do with our mouths. Worship, loving God, is something we do with every part of our being. It consumes everything that we're about, everything we do. We love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then look what it says in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, if you've ever been on, uh, in an area where there are a lot of Orthodox Jews, or if you've ever taken the transatlantic flight that goes from New York City or Philadelphia over to Israel, you will of, oftentimes see Orthodox Jewish men who will wear these tall black hats, and they'll have little hair curls that come down to the side. And what you'll often find as well is sometimes they will wear little boxes on their foreheads, these little phylacteries, or sometimes they'll wrap uh, black Looks like electric tape, but it's just this black string that will be wrapped around their arms. They're taking literally what God's word says here in Deuteronomy 6, that you're to keep God's word around you all the time. But we have to remember is that the foundation of doing that is that God's word is in your heart. Because we've all had the experience, and this has probably happened in, in my home as well, but you go into someone's home and you see a cross on the wall or you see a placard on the wall that has a Bible verse, and you think to yourself, I didn't know that person was a Christian. I, I didn't know that person followed, followed Jesus. And, and sometimes the reason you think that is because you think, nothing I've seen in their life, and, and nothing I've heard come out, come out of their mouth would have given me an indication that they follow God, but they have a cross on their wall. And what happened is over the years, people began to substitute a little box with God's word in it with actually putting God's word in their hearts. And every one of us has to be careful that we don't wear our Christian t-shirt or chew our Christian mints or go to our Christian shows and think that that represents being a Christian. Because it is this reality, is God's word in our heart? Is it impacting every area of our life or is it just something we do outwardly to show people that we're a Christian. And I'm not saying to take down the crosses in your home. I'm not saying to take down the Bible verses in your home. I'm just saying, are those things in your heart or are they just on the wall of your home? Or is it something that I just do as a job or is it really something that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? These are those questions that Deuteronomy 6 pushes us back to. Here's what I want to propose to you from, Gen or from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Here's the phrase to write down. It's in your notes. If you have a bulletin, you can turn it over on the back and look at the back just to follow along with a couple of things. But here's what I want to propose to you. Christianity is a day-by-day, generation-by-generation reality. Those two phrases, day-by-day, generation-by-generation. Day-by-day, generation-by-generation. What I mean is Christianity is not something you do one day. It's not something that you do one time. It's not something that just happens to you and doesn't impact anybody else. Christianity is a day-by-day, generation-by-generation reality. And the reason, one of the reasons, other than the fact that they're just darn cute, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have the kids on stage this morning is the reminder that we are called to pass down the faith generation after generation. And these kids are a representation of that. They are us living out Deuteronomy chapter 6, day by day, generation after generation. But if we're not careful, we hear day by day, generation by generation, and it, it sounds like a drudgery. It sounds like, here we go again. Day after day, generation after generation, we just keep going. But I pray you won't hear it as a drudgery, but that you will hear it as the God-given purpose for our lives. That we will follow Christ day after day, and we will share that good news generation after generation. There have been different studies done in the church because, let's just be really honest, you can see this with your eyes, but there's research to back it up. A lot of kids, when they graduate high school or they get a driver's license, they leave church. And many of you right now could raise your hand and say, that was my story. I grew up in church, I got a little bit older, and I said, you know what, I'm probably done, done with that. Seven out of 10, eight out of 10, the statistics vary a little bit about who will leave church. Let me tell you something of what that research found. The number one predictive factor of whether or not a kid will remain involved in church after they graduate high school, the number one predictive factor is how many adult Christian relationships they have in the church. In other words, how many adults they were connected with in the church will determine whether or not they stay involved. And the tipping point was somewhere between four and five adults that they had a connection with, which means that it's more than just the parents. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have kids, or you're single and you say, this doesn't have anything to do with me, it has everything to do with you. Because as kids grow up, and they see what it means to follow Jesus, they have to see other adults doing that. And if kids are not connected to other adults, they're going to be gone from the church. Here's the other predictive factor. And dads, you bear a huge responsibility. We, not you, we bear a huge responsibility. The other predictive factor about whether or not a kid would remain involved in church after graduation was whether or not they had faith-based conversations with their parents, and specifically their father. In other words, if their father talked about his faith and his testimony at home, it was almost certain that that kid would remain involved in church after they graduated. But if they saw their dad take them to church, but they never heard him talk about his faith, they were much more likely to report that they had dropped out of church after high school. So what that tells us is every day that we live our lives, kids are watching us. And kids are expert hypocritical spotters. If you're not authentic in your faith and you're a hypocrite, your kids will call you out. 
Why do I know that? Because it happens to me all the time. Daddy, that's not what you said at church on Sunday. Oops, <laughs> you're right, you found me out. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I wasn't, I wasn't patient with you. One of the most powerful things you can do for your kids is say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I messed up. They don't need dads to see you be perfect. They need to hear you talk about the gospel and the fact that you mess up and you sin and Jesus forgives you of those sins. They need to see that picture. We started talking a couple of weeks ago at First Baptist that there are three words that represent who we want to be about. Up, in, out. Up is about worship. In is about the fact that Jesus transforms our life. And out is we go on mission. We don't remain in the church. I had some other really fancy words that we used last year and nobody remembered them, so we're going with these words now. Up, in, out. If you need a model for what it means to live day by day, generation by generation, up, in, out is the model. Kids need to see worship, they need to see discipleship, and they need to see missions. When it says back there in verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This idea that it consumes all of our lives. Every person on the planet and every child will worship something. Parents, grandparents, school teachers, every one of us has influence in kids' lives. Kids will learn what to worship and how to worship by watching you. They will learn what to worship and how to worship. If we come into this place and we come half-heartedly, or we come not concerned about what the content of the teaching is, or not concerned what the content of the songs are, kids pick up on that. And kids find out quickly what is most important to us. And I want to be so, so careful. I think I'm even liberal in some sense on this idea about being in church every Sunday. But let's just be honest with each other. If being in church on Sunday is not particularly important in your family, but something else is more important, your kids are hearing, we worship this, not this. So I am not here to manipulate you. And I know that activities happen, and I know that things come up. And like I said, it's not my goal. But your kids learn what to worship and how to worship by watching you. Grandparents, the things you say impact that. Single friends that have more influence in a kid's life than their parents have. Because kids don't listen to what I say. They listen to what person X over here says. You know, like the person in your life who speaks to your kids and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and all along you've been saying those exact same words, but they never listen to you. They listen to this other person over here. We need people like that in our lives. And that's how kids learn to worship. But not just worship. There's this idea of in, this idea of, of discipleship. Look in verse 6 there where it says, These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. And look about, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When it's talking about these commandments, it's talking about the full story of Deuteronomy. It's talking about sharing God's word with your kids. Let me give you two phrases, and these are on your notes. But when you talk to your kids about the faith, keep it gospel-centered and grace-saturated. In other words, sometimes if we're not careful, 
we'll use God as the policeman in our house. Don't do that because God will get you if you do that. Well, it's helpful in the short term with parenting, but it's disastrous for telling people who God is all all about. You want to speak to your kids about God, who is the righteous judge. He is holy. He is perfect. But he is also the loving Father who sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and we are all in need of that salvation. Speak to your kids about the gospel. Speak to your kids about grace, that they do not have to earn God's favor. They do not have to earn God liking them. God freely loves them, and he showed that to them through Jesus. Here's a really small thing that we do in our house, and and I don't even know that it's going to make a long-term impact, but here's what we do. When our kids do something wrong, And yes, the pastor's kids do things wrong all the time, like tackle another kid on the stage during the music time, but that's for another time. So uh, when they do something wrong, we say that they're going to receive discipline, not punishment. And the reason we say that is because biblically, Jesus took our punishment. The punishment that was due us because of our sins, Jesus took that on the cross. He took all of the punishment that was due every one of us. But scripture does talk about God disciplining his children, teaching them to walk in the right way. So we never tell our kids we're going to punish you. We tell them we're going to discipline them. And we strongly believe in discipline. But it's just a verbiage idea to let them know Jesus took your punishment, but God still wants you to get disciplined. And so we're going to help you to go in the right direction. Let me address another thing about discipling your kids. There's some conversation, I think it's healthy conversation, that parents who maybe grew up in a very legalistic type of home are, are leery about imposing the faith too strongly on their kids And they say, you know what, we want to let our kids make up their own mind. We want to let our kids discover this on their own. And and I think there's something healthy about that. But let me me talk about that for just a second. There's a man named Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous atheist in the world uh, right now. He's writing a lot of books that are very popular. He wrote a book called The God Delusion that's been a bestseller uh, related to, to atheism. And Richard Dawkins, in a lot of his talks lately, has started talking about religious child abuse. And what he is trying to push is that any parent who teaches their kid about God is religiously abusing that child by imposing on them the idea of God. And he's trying to spread this type of idea. Now, he doesn't think that teaching your kids that God doesn't exist is abuse, but only teaching them that God does exist is religious child abuse. And some pastors and some parents have started to say, well, maybe we should just let our kids make up their own mind about religion. Maybe we shouldn't impose on them the idea of God because it's abusing their minds. About that, let me just say, Scripture is crystal clear that as parents, as grandparents, we should be passing on the faith to our children. Every person, every child will have a way, a framework to make sense of life. Our opportunity that we have as parents is to help them develop their framework for life, to help them understand the world. What we cannot do, though, and this is actually something we can learn from Richard Dawkins, and we can learn from this idea, what we cannot do is we cannot manipulate our children to follow Jesus. 
Because the moment you start to manipulate and push your children toward Jesus, oftentimes that's the time they run away most quickly. And so what we have the opportunity to do is we have the opportunity to guide, to shepherd, to show the gospel, to help them develop this framework. And, but what we don't want to use is we don't want to be afraid of truth. We don't want to say, hey kids, be scared of truth. We're going to live in fear because that doesn't present the right idea either. It's just helping them develop a framework for what it means to follow Jesus. And then the last part. So there's up, worship, there's in, helping them follow Jesus, and then there's out. How do we live out their faith? There's nothing in Deuteronomy 6 directly about missions, but if you have your Bible open or you have your phone open, go back just a little bit to Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you scroll up in your phone or turn back a couple of pages in your Bible, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So this is why we're thinking about, what does it look like as a family? What does it look like for kids to be involved in missions and in ministry, to live outside of themselves? Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 5, it says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for, for this will show your wisdom and understanding. Then look at the next phrase. To the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So do you see what Moses is doing there as he's communicating God's word? He is telling these people that as they worship God and as they follow him on a consistent basis, the nations will look at them and they will say, who follows a God like that? What type of God would lead his people to live like that? And let me tell you, this is the most important way that your family can be on mission is if you live in such a way that your neighbors ask, what type of God, what type of cult do those people go to on Sunday morning that they would live like that as a family? That they would be gracious to one another, that they would talk about forgiveness, that they would live in that way. What type of God is that? We can be on mission as families if we worship and we follow after Jesus.